Hey there, I'm Becky, and welcome to Literary Escapes with me, Becky. Today's episode is an author interview that I did in my membership book club, Literary Escape Society. If you enjoy hearing the behind-the-scenes story about your favorite books, you might want to join the Literary Escape Society. There'll be a link in the show notes if you'd like to check it out. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the next episode of Literary Escapes Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming author Debbie Ricks to the podcast with me. So let's jump right into the episode. It's a pleasure to meet you finally. Hi, Becky. So how did you become a writer? Ah, um, okay. I was a journalist for many years. Okay. Uh, I, worked, I worked in television. I worked for the BBC. Oh, That's cool. Okay. I started my professional life um, and I was a newsreader, newscaster, whatever you call them in America. Okay. Uh, for the BBC uh, on their, their first breakfast TV show, actually. Oh. Uh, called Breakfast Time. So back in the 80s. Oh, nice. Uh, so I'd always been a writer to a degree. And uh, I actually wrote my first novel when I was about 30. I didn't try very hard to sell it. I didn't really know what was involved with trying to sell a novel. So I sent it to a couple of agents who said, oh, this is really good, but mm, not sure, which happens to writers a lot, as you probably know. And I put it in a drawer and forgot about it and had two okay. children and a life and this and that. And, uh, <laughs> and then in my 50s, actually, I was in my 40s when my husband had a stroke, mm. and uh, which was a bit tragic. And he, he's fine, though, but don't, oh, so don't worry. But awesome. he, went, okay. uh, he was in Pisa making a documentary. He was a film producer, a documentary producer for the BBC. And he was making a, a film about the Leaning Tower and how they were rescuing it. And he had a stroke. So I had to rush out, leave my two little children behind with my mother and rush out there to look after him. And... 10 years later or thereabouts, I began to think, not that I could use my husband's illness, but it was an interesting premise for a novel. Right. You know, to be living in a, a comparatively strange city. I mean, I did know Pisa briefly, but never, never lived there. Right. And um, how long were you there? I got two and a half weeks or so. So okay. living by myself in a little, sweet little hotel on right on the piazza. In fact, it was an amazing venue thinking about it and the hospital was just across the piazza so every morning okay. I would cross I would pass the Duomo and the tower and all that and look at them and spend a lot of time looking at them and my wow. husband had been making as I say this film about the tower and, and its history and how it had nearly fallen down and how a British engineer in fact had saved it from collapse huh. and when he was better a year you know a few years later he introduced me to the professor of medieval history at Pisa University who was a lovely old man and he and I met with my husband actually and he told me all he knew about the tower and I began to write a novel about that so my first novel which was then named The Secrets of the Tower and was later retitled by my publisher to The Girl with Emerald Eyes which if I'm honest I don't like as a title but there we go <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> other things you have no control over really as a exactly yeah uh, so I wrote a dual time story there about the tower and how it began because what intrigued me about the tower was that um, there was this woman called Berta Bernac Bern Berta, God, it's so many years since I wrote the book. Anyway, Berta, let's call her Berta. Okay. And uh, she was married to a rich merchant and she left a lot of money to build the tower in the 12th century when she died. Okay. And her will was witnessed by a fascinating group of people. There was a guy called Gerardo Gerardo, who was a famous stonemason. Okay. Who worked on the tower. There was the 
lawyer, they didn't call them that in those days, but the lawyer to uh, the uh, emperor okay. uh, at the time, and one or two other rather important people. And I thought, this is all very odd. Why would this woman have this extraordinary, you know, will uh, signing? And she obviously was very influential. Uh, she obviously really liked this Gerardo guy, because why would she otherwise invite him? And so the story grew in my mind and I set it against a modern story of a woman whose husband, surprise, surprise, has had a stroke. But okay. of course, in the story, um, the man was not as nice as my own husband. Uh, <laughs> but there we go. So I, I, that's how I started with a, a dual timeline story. And uh, I wrote two more stories on a similar vein, dual timeline. I love the dual timelines. I think those are so interesting. Well, I think what they do, isn't it, is that they they take the audience, the reader, with them into the past, into the history, because sometimes, particularly something like the 12th century, it's quite difficult to get to grips with. It is. And I just finished one that was like the um, 16th century and modern. Yes. And the way they that the you know authors can weave it together and yeah. bring you to both places but then bring it together is just yes. fascinating well it's it's quite fun it's a bit like doing a jigsaw puzzle you have to kind of <laughs> line things up so that I would imagine things. yeah um, so yeah that that was the first one and I I you know managed to sell it to an agent uh I think they call it an elevator pitch I was talking to her right. about something else and then I said I got a novel I want to write and she said oh go on then what is it <laughs> and I gave her a third of 30 seconds and she said I like that I want that write it for me oh so I wrote it for her and then eventually we sold it to nice yeah okay wow. so and so are all your books traditionally published versus like an indie publish well Bookature was my publisher and they published they published all my books but um they are now one of the sort of biggest digital publishers in the world in fact they've been bought up by Hachette and they're huge. I mean, when I joined, there were like six of us, six authors. They've only oh, just wow. And now they have like, I don't know, I really don't know, 350 authors or something. So, uh, yeah, the last three, I mean, the, the two of them are out and one I'm editing now are all, they're not dual timeline. Okay. Are, uh, but they are dual, they have two protagonists and they're, they're set in the Second World War, which seems to be a popular Time. okay yeah that's a big that's really big right now it seems a lot of people are doing world war yeah. ii stuff yeah and i had a story that i tried to sell to my publisher about four years ago um loosely based really on my parents experiences of the war my mother had been an evacuee in the lake district and then she was a, 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 in the in the wrens the women's royal navy and she had quite an interesting time and my father was a to be perfectly honest a heroic pilot Oh wow! Flew some extraordinarily exciting missions and had some rather extraordinary experiences. He was a prisoner of war. He escaped. He blew wow! Up. And I'd always wanted to write something about that, but not just a you know a, a memoir or about right. And um, anyway, when the World War Two suddenly became big, they said, "Oh yes, we do want that book." So I wrote a book from this point of view of an English girl based on my mother and a German girl based loosely on a German girl that my father met when he was on the run in Germany. Okay, is that the book that's coming out in September? No, no. Oh, that, okay. That was a book that came out about two years ago called The Secret Letter. Okay, uh, okay. And is available in the UK, in America on Amazon and various other platforms. Right. And then um, 
The one after that is called The Italian Girls, and that's back to my favourite Italian location, and that is based on the true story of the film actress Maria Dennis, who was an Italian film actress for in the what they called white telephone films um, in the 30s and 40s in Italy, based in Cinecittà and Rome, and she uh, had the most extraordinary experience. She uh, was wildly in love with Lucino Visconti, even though he was gay, but nevertheless she was in love with him. And he was very fond of her too, I think. I think he did rather love her. And he was a member of the resistance. And okay. she, she helped him. But in the course, of, because she worked for Chinichita, Chinichita was supported by the fascist government and was under the control of the fascist authorities and the fascist police. So she, she walked this tightrope between of danger. Right. Um, and this head of the secret police fell wildly in love with her. So she had this, this fascist Ooh. man chasing her and she was in love and this other guy that she was in love with yeah so there was her story and then there was the story that was centered around Rome and then there was a story of a based on a real woman who's the mother of a friend of mine who was in the resistance in Florence so I had again two protagonists two girls who both were one absolutely fighting for the resistance and one slightly ambivalently supporting both sides in this kind of terrible way trying to navigate this very difficult journey because of course in Italy the war was not straightforward Germans bad allies good well a lot of them were for it Germany was, yes, because of the was, government yeah. yeah it was effectively a civil war really so it was very very complicated in Italy. I bet so that was that and then the one I'm writing now which will be out in January is um again I don't think I should tell you the title yet but it's basically around a woman who's married to a, a, a Nazi and how you okay. deal with that, how you would cope with that. And is that one set in Germany or in Italy? Yes, that's in Germany. Okay. And uh, yeah. And so go ahead. No, no, I would just to say there are two protagonists in that as well. So the woman, the wife and the husband, in fact. Okay. Okay. So I, I've now written a book for the first time uh, from a male point of view, which I've how interesting for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> how interesting that would be hard, I would think. Just well, do you know what? Actually, I found it easier. I think I think I have a bit of a male brain. Okay, and uh, I, I actually found it easier to write it from his point of view. I I think uh, I don't know. I, I'm not a great fan of over emotionalizing in my writing. Men tend to be much more straightforward. Yes, I like to sort of, I, I tend to read an awful lot of male authors and I like the way men just describe what's happening and you right. sort of make up your own mind about what you feel about it. Mm -hmm. So, um, But you know, I don't think that's particularly just a male female thing. Agreed, yeah. The way I am anyway. But, uh, <laughs> so I didn't mind writing from a man's point of view. And I think when you're writing about the Second World War, any war, frankly, quite hard to focus on the woman because most of the action is happening with the right. men exactly um, now that doesn't mean you have to write a book which obviously a lot of men do write men particularly tend to write books like this and mostly it's men who like to read them all about the guns and the you know the right and the, you know I'm not interested in all of that yeah I, I am interested in their motivation and their their reasoning uh, okay and so on so anyway there we are nice so how did you get kind of caught up in writing books set in Italy? How did that start? Ah, okay. Because almost all of your books are in uh, Italy. There, I must admit, there are now four of the six, yes. Uh, <laughs> five, five of the six are set in Italy. Um, 
well I was I went to Italy and the borders of Italy and Switzerland a lot as a child uh, our, our parents very kindly took us there on holiday a lot uh, to a place called Lago Maggiore on one of the okay. Italian lakes okay so that's part of my sort of history and then my sister who lives in America and is a professor at Yale University she when she moved to America 40 years ago now and married uh, an Englishman but then moved to America they bought a little tiny cottage in Tuscany and oh. we've been going there ever since with our children they've been How lovely. brought up going there it is lovely and a great privilege and this is the first year I've not been so I'm really missing mm. it um, you'll be ready next year to go again won't you well I hope so yeah I hope yeah all these travel restrictions have been slightly eased you know that it, it's very very difficult at the moment particularly yeah. in this country I mean he actually has just flown there from the states more easily than we would be able to exactly anyone, anyone who flies from the UK to Italy now has to quarantine for five days whatever their vaccination status or anything I mean it's, it's oh wow odd. yeah so anyway we're not going but um so, that, you know, it's just a country I love. My husband uh, speaks Italian better than I do, much better than I do. Uh, the children love it. I love the food. I just love it. I, I think there is there are very few parts of Italy that I don't find captivating and beautiful. And, you know, I just love it. And so you have, um, let's see, the Silk Weaver's wife is set in the Venice, in Venice Verona area. Veneto, really, yeah. Oh, okay yes yes so the first book is Pisa and okay uh the second book is partly set in Venice the second book is called Daughters of the Silk Road okay and yeah that, that's the book about a Ming vase that's handed down through the generations and it was a bit of a uh, a massive tome um looking back now but it was a story I and it's sort of partly set in Italy it's partly set in Amsterdam and Antwerp it's partly okay. set in London. It moves around the globe a little bit. Nice. Uh, okay. Uh, based, based on a family of merchants, really. Oh, interesting. Um, and it starts uh, with an Italian merchant who brings this Ming vase back from his travels. He'd been to China and he brought, brings, you know, a, a huge shipment of porcelain with him into Venice uh, at the time when the plague was rife, oddly enough, quite appropriate for now. And yeah. the, ship was, the ship was sort of quarantined and they all had to wait until they could get on shore. And so all sorts of excitement happens. And the daughter has all sorts of experiences. She's traveling with him. And it's based on a real man called Niccolo de Conti, who really was a, he was, a, came after Marco Polo in terms of timing, but he was just as interesting as Marco Polo. He went interesting. all over the Far East. Okay. So, um, so basically he brings the vase back and the vase gets handed to his daughter on her wedding and she ends up marrying a, a, a merchant and they move to Northern Europe and, the, and it gets passed down and passed down and passed down through the generations and ends up on the uh, mantelpiece of a girl in Putney, a divorcee in Putney, who's left it by her aunt and thinks it's just a pretty thing. Uh -huh. her, daughter, her daughter keeps throwing keys into it and and you as the audience, the reader, you know. You're cringing. It's worth maybe millions, you don't know. Anyway, finally, it all works out all right. And funnily enough, um, that book was published, I don't know what month, February or something like that. And a couple of months later, there was a story in on Reuters or the press or something about a Ming vase that looked exactly like the one I had had on the wall of my office I was writing about. 
Oh, how which funny. Had, which had been discovered in an attic and had been sold at auction at Sotheby's or Christie's for, you know, 10 million quid. Wow. So, you know, art sometimes does imitate real life or the other way around. It was extraordinary. It was like, oh, my God, that was, <laughs> I was bang on there. That was, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Wow. So that's Daughter of the Silk Road. Then there was the Silk Weaver's Wife. Right. Which is Venice. Then there was a book called The Photograph. The photograph is set in the 1950s and now. And the photograph is based around Sardinia. Oh, okay. A, a curious little island that I visited five or six years ago. I read about it when I was doing some research or something else. And on this little island, they make silk uh, called sea silk out of uh, the skeins of sort of, um, they're attached to mollusks that grow on the seabed. Oh. It's like the sort of tendrils that attach the mollusk to the seabed. And for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, it's thought it goes right back to um, ladies in Lebanon and Palestine thousands of years ago in biblical times, who would swim down, pull these mollusks away, take their tendrils and spin them into what they call sea silk, which is a very, very fine kind of browny gold silk, which kind of glows in the sunlight. Some people wow. say the cloth of gold in the Bible was made of this stuff because it looks kind of gilded when you shine wow. it shines. Okay. And I, I was quite interested, well, very interested in the story because it is quite interesting, isn't it? And I went to Sardinia to research it. And um, anyway, to cut a long story short, I set it in the 50s in the end after some discussion with my editor because I was thinking about setting it in biblical times and modern times. But we all, then we agreed that that would be quite hard to write. Quite, quite hard, yeah, to, to really pull the pull two it together, together. Yeah. yeah. So I switched the old story to the 50s and I, I, there was a, fortunately for me, a wonderful Hungarian archeologist who had traveled to Sardinia and first uncovered an incredible tomb on Sardinia that really does exist where it is wow. thought that uh, an emperor uh, from 79 AD was banished to Sardinia, Roman emperor. And he and his, because he fell in love with the Jewish princess and they were banished to this little island of Sardinia and they died there. And it wow. is thought they're buried in this tomb. So this archeologist discovered this tomb and did some research on it. So my story is around the archeologist and his daughter. Okay. Story that follows from that. So there's a modern story about her granddaughter who goes back to Sardinia to retrace her grandmother's steps. How interesting. Grandmother. So that's quite a good one if you like Italian yeah. tales. Um, that's the photograph. And then the one after that was the secret letter, which is centered around England, uh, the Lake District, Newcastle, London, and, okay. and Germany, Munich in particular. And uh, then the one after that is Italian Girls, which is uh, Rome and Florence. Okay. And the one I'm writing now, which is back into Munich again. Nice. That is so clever. I love all the different places in Italy that you've been. That's, yes. That's well, it really gives me a nice opportunity to travel. So. <laughs> exactly. Is there somewhere uh, in Italy that you haven't been that you want to? Um, I have been to everywhere I really love. I actually, I haven't been to Puglia ever. I don't know why. We, we just never, we've done Sicily, 
I, I can't think of a story to write about Sicily, but I could possibly come up with one one day. Um, and in fact, I did nearly write a war book set in Sicily, but I think I think it's slightly been done, you know. Uh, Puglia is a lovely, interesting place I'd like to visit, but whether there's a novel there, I don't know. Right. I don't know. Okay. It's tricky, you know, I mean, you, you um, it's tempting to just keep traveling to and find a story that you can wedge <laughs> into a place you like. But generally what I do is I, I write a story, I go to visit the place once I've researched an idea and I think, oh, okay, I need to go to Sardinia or I need to go somewhere like that. But, so but, how yeah. do you come up with like your inspiration for the book at the beginning um, before the, beginning. the research begins? Well, that is a sort of marvellous alchemy, really. Uh, I don't, honestly, it's very hard to say. I mean, the one I'm writing at the moment, I was in the very wonderful uh, museum in Munich. If you've never been to Munich and you've never been to their museum on the history of national socialism, you should do it because although okay. it sounds incredibly dull, it's really not. It's the most beautiful modern museum anyway, but it's also, wow. the Germans do these things very well. I think they're obviously very guilty and full of mm -hmm. grief for what they did. And they somehow deal with it in this incredibly respectful, interesting way. And I was looking at a picture of a, beautiful young man who was being strung up, killed. Wow. And he turned out to be a Russian who was working as a slave who'd had a relationship with a German woman. And he reminded me of my first boyfriend, very similar face. And I thought, oh my God, there's this beautiful boy being killed because somebody fell in love with him. And I thought that's a really interesting idea for a book. Right. So that, that got, that's partly what the next book will be about. And then- okay. I went to Dachau when I was there last year and just because it's so close to Munich I thought I've got to go and have a look at it just to see and I I saw things at the exhibition there that just made me realize there was a, a brilliant novel to be written about an aspect of life at Dachau which I probably wouldn't to say any more about now okay but after January I can talk to you about it that sounds good <laughs> uh, but all of them basically are sort of just chance they're like I mean the first one obviously was my personal relationship and that one took a bit of thinking through and all the rest of it right and after that I mean the Ming the one about the, the daughters of the Silk Road I was sitting in a meeting with the new editor in fact when she was still working for a different publisher at HarperCollins and she said if I buy this book about Pisa from you have you got a second idea and I hadn't even thought about that and I sort of thought oh lord and literally just it came into my head I said well I've always wanted to write a book about a Ming, a Ming vase I mean I have I do love blue and white china and I do have a bit of china that I bought myself in Hong Kong when I was there working years ago and she said I want that that's a good book then I researched you know Italy and how they how China got into Europe and it came in very often through Venice and I found this guy Nicola okay. de Conti and then and the story just kind of grows as you research. How interesting, yeah. But I know you can't just sit there and go, I'm going to write a novel. I want to set it in Sardinia. What's it going to be about? It's sort of just something like the, the sea silk thing. I read it in some book when I was researching something else. And I thought, right. sea silk, that's it. And I wrote sea silk on a piece. I've got a piece of paper above my desk. Okay. I write ideas. And I see, I kept looking at that thinking, yeah, that's sea that interesting. And yeah. my husband said, can't write a book about that that sounds so boring and I said no no no, no. <laughs> it won't be boring at all and he is a journalist and he always says to me I mean this makes me sound that's so funny but he says to me I just don't know how you 
how you come up with these ideas, you know, they just sort of come out of nowhere. And I suspect you'll find all writers say that. All yeah. Find and it's just come from nowhere. They don't know. Well, that's it. Them. Yeah. I mean, that's the imagination, isn't it? I suppose so. To be gifted with a uh, clever imagination like that oh, is what a blessing. Bit of luck, um, really. And it's about, it's like a muscle, I think. You have to just trust mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, and the more you use it, I think the better it yes. gets at, at expanding, I guess, maybe. Yes. Just sort of let it be, you know, let mm -hmm. it. And then because I'm a journalist, as it were, by training, I can look at an idea and think, well, no, that's not interesting, or that is interesting, or I could do something with that, or, and I think you have to be adaptable as a writer, you know, you have an editor, and they have a view, so like the one about sea silk, you know, I'm going to, I started writing it, you know, I've got four or five chapters somewhere set in, you know, a princess in Lebanon, for God's sake, and she read it, and she's always so respectful and nice, she says, wondering yeah Do you think hmm. maybe we could not set it in you know 79 ad but maybe we could set it in they say the 1950s <laughs> and you know it's like a total well vault, vault fast but i said okay Yes, I'm sure we could I could probably do that. Something. Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> I'm not sure how, but and then I research it a bit. 1950s sea silk, and then I find this guy who'd been there, this Hungarian, and I think, oh, Hungary, okay. 1950s. That's interesting because now we've got a revolution going on. So now you've got somebody who had to leave Hungary in a bit of a hurry. You know, right? That's, that's a really interesting story, isn't it? So it's wonderful you get these little gifts all the way along you, you start right. reading at something and you think oh my god that's so fantastic because now I can write about the revolution <laughs> excellent <laughs> <Woo -hoo>. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you can take things that are real and then weave this fictitious story around them well that's a, another joy of it really I think yeah I, I'm not sure I could write you know, people who write modern fiction, I suppose you'd call it, I suppose that's based on reality, isn't it? Of course it is. It's, you know, it's well, even like fantasy time. where people create a whole different world. Yes. That would be hard. That would be hard. And that's very clever. And as a teenager, I read Lord of the Rings and loved all of that. Exactly. And yeah. Off and, you know, I loved sort of sci-fi and stuff when I was mm -hmm. 15, 16. But I don't want to read it now. And I... Right increasingly feel and I'm quite old now that I I really like to look back a little bit at history and see how it can help us in today's mm -hmm. world I think there's a lot to learn and we don't all want to sit about reading really fabulous historians who deserve to be read all the time but for a lot of us it's too much too much information and exactly and it's it's you know what writers like you who can pick out the clever parts and weave this fantastic story around it and make those of us who are readers yeah, yeah. just be like, ooh, that is so interesting. And then we dig in more and- Yes, exactly. I, I love that. Exactly <laughs> what happens. You know, we, we open a little window into the world. And then obviously I usually put at the back a sort of list of references of books that I've relied on and things. And right. I often get emails from people saying, oh, you know, I read some of those or, you know, dipped in some of those books. And I, that's a great joy, for, you know, and hopefully, I mean, the most important thing from my point of view, really, is that I don't make a mistake, you know, to make yeah. a historical error is the sort of dread. 
I, I've heard that from several authors yeah, that, yeah. you know, when they're doing the historical fictions, yeah. they really, they're really careful about how yes. they, you know, make sure, making sure they get yeah. it right, I guess. Yeah. And, and uh, it's quite it's, a responsibility. <laughs> it is. And I appreciate how much care you take with that. Yes. Yes. Because it does come across and makes it that much more interesting to read, I think. Yes. Oh, good. Well, that's that's nice to know. I mean, The Silk Weaver's Wife, which we'll talk about maybe later in the month, um, that was an interesting story because in terms of how it grew, because we went on holiday five or six years ago, whatever, to a place near Veneto in Veneto. And we stayed okay. in this very, this very beautiful villa, which if you have read the book, you will recognize as the villa. Okay, yes. Falls, falls in love with a man. And, and it was owned by this wonderful woman who my cat, my sister is loosely based on, but she was okay. nicer than the sister. Very elegant, beautifully educated, educated in England, at summer like St. Mary's Ascot, very posh girls, Catholic school. Yes. And they were a very wealthy family who owned this beautiful, beautiful villa, which is exactly as I describe it in the book, really. And I remember as I was leaving, she you know, was interested that I was a writer. I said, I'm going to write about your villa. <laughs> there is a novel in this villa. It's just so amazing. Yes. And, uh, her name I was wanted Stella. to go to that villa. It was fabulous. Yara Stella. Yeah, well, I'm, I'll, I'll try and find the, the information and send it to you because it is gorgeous. And if you, you you have to have a car if you stay there because it's in the middle of the countryside. But you okay, can drive in, you can drive toward the opera nearby and all these lovely places. Um, so that was the genesis for that bit of the story. And then how lovely the, the silk thing. Now how did the silk thing happen? I think I was trying to work out. Oh, because of course she was telling me that's right that they used to have silkworms in their barns. Okay. And so I just got, you know, it's like, oh, okay. I sort of hadn't really thought about how silk was produced. I mean, you don't really think right. about it very much. Um, so then I went back the following year. In fact, we couldn't stay with her. She was fully booked. She had to stay somewhere else. But I met an amazing man who was now trying to uh, reinvigorate the silk okay. industry in that area. I was wondering if that was if that was, that was accurate. Yeah, yeah, accurate. Yeah, he he does run this amazing company, and he showed me all his looms and all this kind of stuff. So I did. That's amazing. That research. Yeah, and he then put me in touch with this wonderful uh, guy in the middle of Venice. So we we went off to Venice to meet him, who who where you know the the man she marries, Anastasia marries this horrible guy who owns right. the villa, this incredible mill. That was exactly as described again as described. Oh, wow. it's, uh, this Where is that in Venice? Um, it's on the Grand Canal. And, okay. Uh, you literally. Was it right across from Doro, the Golden Palace? Been. Is that right? I I will have to do a bit of. I can't remember exactly now. But my sister and I are actually going to Venice next week, and um, I'm going to take some pictures of some of the places that you mentioned. Oh, in the yes. book. Yes. Oh, how lovely. Um, okay. It's the most extraordinary mill where they do have beautiful modern fabrics that they still make, but they oh, have cool. all of the amazing looms still, the old 70 yeah. looms. And it's just the, fascinating. Place. It was fascinating the, the fact that it took months to set up a, a loom. Yes, exactly. That was they told staggering. Us, they, yeah, it is staggering. And, you know, makes you realize how very, very... Uh, extraordinary it is that you know these beautiful fabrics were ever made really exactly um, yeah and, and just how much money people must have had to have to wear them and buy them and so on exactly um, that's yeah 
I'll send you the details of where that is. I can see it. I'd love it. Yeah, thank you. Eye. And again, you know, I, I did some research at the uh, Victorian Albert Museum in London, which is mm, you know, right. famous for the clothes and things. And there I read about, her name has gone out of my mind now, but this amazing English silk designer right. from the 18th century. And, I, and that made me think, oh, okay. So women were designing these fabrics. So maybe my heroine could end I up. I loved like that. that the 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 london or the english yes, connection the, the i guess english connection yeah we, we go to holland as well because i went to a an exhibition of um this incredible uh painter 18th century painter so you yeah, had so long since i've read this book this right so and that's the one that the heroine um of the older timeline that she um yeah she trained runs away with. She, yeah, she trains with her. Yes. And um, I think it was the Queen's Gallery, so at Buckingham Palace, uh, at the Queen's Gallery, they they had this incredible, she has a, a massive, Madame Marion, that's right, Marion. She she is a, she's had hundreds of paintings, Queen owns hundreds of her wow. paintings, lucky woman. And um, How they cool. were so beautiful. And I thought, right, well, that's a nice thing. We'll tie some of that in. So again, it's just a sort of ongoing research process where you, you find all these little threads and you think, you know, okay, that could all feed in quite nicely and make an interesting story. That's in our book club. We have, um, it's it's called the Literary Escape Book Club. And so we have people from around the world that are in it. And one of them happens to be in Amsterdam. And oh. so she's looking forward to the book, you know, reading, oh, right. reading oh, that well, book. I better mug up. I better mug up on, on Madame, Madame Marion again and remind myself what was so wonderful. I've got, I've got a couple of prints of hers in my office. And I oh, cool. Okay. And I, I would be willing to bet um, that some people will look her up because yes, in the book club, people tend to take an idea that is presented and run with it. You know, I found well, that. I found that house that she was talking about. I wonder that if this is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love oh, yeah. that. And I, and I do often or usually go to the place where I'm writing about and I find the house that I'm going to write about. I will locate the property because it okay. is in my mind's eye. And I usually take photographs of it and they're all there for me while I'm writing. So well, you can is... tell when somebody's been there. Yeah. Because as a reader, you feel like you've been you there. sense that, yes. And yes. I love that. Yes. That's the escape that we're looking yes, for yes. is to feel like I'm there, you know, and to know what the scents are that you, you know, that are yes. around and I think the it's feel absolutely. and the colors and. It's vital for me it to is. go somewhere. It, I can't write about somewhere that I've not been. I can't, can't do it. For the past year and a half, it has to have been difficult for authors. Yes. To not be able to go anywhere. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, the next one I'm going to write, which is still vaguely just a little gestating egg in my brain is not really <laughs> fully formed at all but uh I sort of need to go back to Germany but again it's quite difficult not quite yet that. yeah yeah so you know I won't be able to do that I think till next early next year if at all I mean I think the thing about all of my novels if I think back about them all is that they're all about women who are interesting and strong and have their own lives and you know, I've always worked, I've had children and a marriage and all those sort of things, but I've always worked. And I think I'm not saying that you have to work. It's really not my place to say that, but I, I'm a great champion of, of women's right to be independent, artistic or scientific or whatever they want to be. Right. So to follow I'm their own passions. Right um, about strong women. I think there is a yeah. sort of theme 
the time. And uh, so to find real examples of those strong women is very important to me. And, right. you know, and Maria Merian, in fact, is a case in point because this is a woman who was married to an artist, the lady in Amsterdam. She was married herself to an artist. She was the daughter of an artist. She divorced her husband, which is extraordinary back then. Right. And she moved to Amsterdam, set up her own shop, studio. Her own yeah. Studio. Uh, she and before and she also funded her own trips to Suriname of all places, which was you know there, there were trade connections between Amsterdam and Suriname. But you know she went off and lived there with one of her daughters for about two years in the middle yeah. of the bloody jungle and did all these extraordinary crazy. Things. I mean, she was a, a scientific researcher, you know, so she was more than just an artist. She was interested in the, the whole life cycle of all these animals. So she was a really fascinating woman. Yeah, because, um, yeah, she wasn't just an artist drawing. Yeah, no. She, I liked that they were doing like the life cycles of the absolutely. silkworm and, you know, that kind exactly. of stuff. I thought that was all really that. fascinating. All of that. Yes. I mean, her own books are very interesting. She wrote this lovely book called Chrysalis. Oh, uh, the secrets of the metamorphosis, which is quite interesting. Um, interesting. So the okay. one is coming out. In fact, it's coming out now in January. They pushed it back for some reason. I think they decided September was too crowded. Okay. So, which is probably just as well because I'm still copy editing it. So there we go. Um, <laughs> Give you a little uh, bit more time. Uh. <laughs> a little bit more time. Uh, so it'll be coming out in January. I don't remember the exact date, but yeah. Okay. January. And uh, again, the title hasn't been released yet, so I'm not supposed to say what it is. Okay. It's a bit frustrating, but it won't be long until it, it may by the time we perhaps do our book club, it may well have been. Excellent. And we can talk about it. A bit more. Well, very good. That sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome, Becky. I feel like I've driveled on for ages. <laughs> that's, the, that's what we want, though. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today on the Literary Escape Podcast. If you enjoy hearing the behind the book story, then join me in the Literary Escape Society. We are a community of travelers who love books, or maybe book lovers who love to travel. Either way, if you need an escape, a literary escape, come join us as we read our way around the world together, one book at a time. Check out the show notes to learn more about the Literary Escape Society. And we'll see you next time on the next episode.